Well, take your Bibles and open up to the book of Ephesians, book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to finish out chapter 4 today, and uh, there's a lot here I'm excited to share with you. And as we've been uh, walking through the book of Ephesians, just once again, because I like, I like reviewing, we're asking what question? What question are we asking through the book of Ephesians? Shout it out. What is it? Who am I? Over here. I heard it over here. We're going to say it together. Okay. One, two, three. Who am I? And the bigger, broader question is, who are we? That's right. Who are we as the church? What has God called the church to be and to do? And how do we live that out? How do we embody that? Okay. Now, as I was thinking about uh, this message in particular, I'm going to show you a picture up here. And, uh, okay, you have half the screen is uh, one, one closet, half is the other, okay? Now, some of you might be able to resonate with one side more than the other, okay? And uh, I, confession time for me, as a, as a kid growing up, I was very much the left side of the screen, and so I was definitely that child who uh, my mom would say, you need to clean your room before you can go do this. And you found really quickly that there was a lot of crevices you could shove things. To where my room looked clean, but the minute you opened up any drawer or closet door or anything else, it was as if the, the whole thing would cascade out on top of you. Okay, I'm sure some of you have experienced that as well in your own lives, whether it be your children or yourselves. And then some of you are completely all the time right hand side of this and you you get almost anxiety if it's not organized in that way. And sometimes maybe uh, you you are that way, but your spouse is not that way and it drives you insane. Okay, some of you experience that. But the reality, the reality of why I put this picture up here is because when we think about our own personal life and we think about the comparing and contrasting of my life before Christ as opposed to my life after Christ, we often view it in this kind of way to where I'm, I'm convinced that maybe before Christ, my life looks like this closet stuffed, clear, full, crammed, jammed, packed in. And then as soon as I come to Christ, whoa, everything's going to be organized and fit neat and clean. And it's, it's magical. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, you would recognize and testify to the reality that that's just not what happens. And in fact, often we come to Christ and maybe for the first time, things that used to not bother me near as much or used to be okay in my life, now all of a sudden are not okay. And maybe for the first time, I start seeing the mess that I have for so long shoved to the side or has not been a care that now I'm going, whoa, this is worse than I thought. And yet, for some of us, we struggle to be honest about the mess that we live with. That's both physically true 
and individually, internally, metaphorically true. In the sense that we don't like other people to know that there's areas of our life that need some cleaning up. That's why we tend to, when we step in the doors of a place like this, or we're around other people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus too, we tend to do what I did as a kid, and we shove everything into a closet or into a drawer, and we close those closet doors, and man, those closet doors look nice. And I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. You know, hey, how are you doing? I'm great. But I'm not. And what we're going to find in this message this morning, this portion of Ephesians specifically talks about this contrast between the old and the new. But understand that when this is talked about in Scripture, it's not talking about a light switch. And I preface it that way for us to recognize that this isn't going to be something that's easy. The Christian life is not something that is just happens and all of a sudden we're good at it and the sin nature no longer is there. This is this takes work. And it's hard. But if we never take the steps to say, I recognize the mess and I'm pursuing that which is like Christ. If we never get to that point, then we're forever going to be consumed by all the stuff that we're just shoving as quickly as we can away so that other people don't see it. And so, let's uh, look specifically at Ephesians 4. And um, this is a big section of Scripture. And so, we're just going to walk kind of step by step through this. We're going to start in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. And I'm going to read through verse 19 to start us. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you, you, alright, pause, you, when Paul says I, that you, who's he, who's he talking to? The church, good. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now recognize here that uh, Paul in writing this starts out by saying, you, the church are no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. Now, this might beg some of you who have been with us and have been reading through Ephesians to go, wait a minute. Paul talked about the Gentiles earlier on in Ephesians, and he said, you guys are a part of the church. That's true. But in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Paul says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... You were called the uncircumcision. You were alienated. You were separated. So he's saying this is who you were. And now he's saying, whoa, whoa, now wait a minute. Don't walk as the Gentiles do any longer. 
And so when you see that word in this context, he's talking specifically about those who are separated from God. Those people, he's saying, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's specifically saying, you must no longer walk as those who are separated from Christ. And yes, as Gentiles, you were once far out, once. You were once dead. You were once apart from God. And now through Christ, there's, there's one way. There's one church. And so don't walk as the Gentiles do. That word futility there, in the futility of their minds, that word means pointless or useless. And when you stop and think about that, it makes sense. If we believe that our life represents such a small portion in the grand scheme of eternity, forever and ever and ever, If my whole life and everything I do and everything I focus on, everything I pursue is focused on that one little section of however many years I have here, then it's really been pointless. If that's all that I focus on, if I become consumed by that and I achieve worldly success, that's great. But is it worth anything in eternity? We have to stop and we have to think about that. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God. Now that's a scary statement, if I'm being honest with you. Darkened in their understanding, alienated from God. Everyone say, that's scary. Now to look at this a little further, put your finger in Ephesians 4 and flip back to Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1. Specifically, look at verse starting in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their in their thinking. Okay, futile meaning pointless. Everyone say pointless. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Look at verse 22, claiming to be wise. They became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature or that which is created rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. This is a scary reality. And how often do we. Become. Unfocused on the reality that there are those we walk next to every day. 
who are darkened in their understanding of who God is. How often do we not consider how my actions that are not Christ-like further darken people's understanding of who He is? This is a reality that we face. Now, in a similar way, flip forward just a, a, a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what we're doing here as we look at this is we're really seeking to develop a contrast to what we are called to do. What we're called to walk in, alright? We're developing a contrast to that and a, a deeper understanding of, of what this looks like apart from Christ. Second Corinthians 4, look, starting in verse 3. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim... Now this... Alright, church, look up here a second. This next verse should be our statement every time we gather together. This should be our statement. Let's read this together. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That verse 5, if you mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that or box that. Because when we think about what the church is called to, and we think about how we're to represent Christ outside of this place, it should be stated that what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as, what does that say? Servants. Everyone say servants. Okay? That's not a flattering term for most of us. It should be. We get the opportunity to serve the Most High God through Christ. And yet we are so accustomed. Our old selves are so accustomed to wanting to be God of our own life. And that's exactly what we should expect when we encounter and we interact with people outside of the family of Christ. We should not be surprised when we face opposition, when we face individuals or groups of people who are trying to shift and run their own lives and it's going the opposite way from what God has called our lives to go. It should not surprise us. But we have to maintain this perception that I am proclaiming Christ, not myself, and understanding the depth of this, 
That for me, coming to a place of understanding who God is through Christ is the first step for me maturing, growing up beyond where I am. The first step in recognizing that I have a mess and I need someone beyond myself to help clean that up. Now, the question back in Ephesians 4 could be asked, why? Um, what's hindered these individuals or caused their walk to be contrary to that of the gospel? And look specifically at uh, verse 18. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. Now, That word callous, I really like how the NIV translates that. It says they lack, um, they have lost sensitivity and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, as I was prepping this this week, That concept of callousness and lack of sensitivity just sat with me. And in this context, Paul's specifically referring to those who are outside the body of Christ. But church, we have a problem with this in the body of Christ. And more broadly within the American culture where we have become desensitized to the things that we should be very sensitive to. We read through the news and we read about horrific things and we get angry for a moment. But we've lost sensitivity to the depth of what that refers to. We should lament and mourn when we see the things around us that go contrary to what God has called us to pursue. We should lament and mourn in our own lives when we recognize that I have a mess that I'm just stuffing in the closet and I'm not willing to work through. And I recognize and I see the gospel. I see what Jesus suffered. We've lost sensitivity to that because we hear it so many times that we just say, yeah, I know that. I hear that. And we don't respond. We feel God prompting in our lives, this has to change, this needs to shift. Or we read scripture, we say, man, this was good, I need to hear this. And then we leave here and we don't do anything. And in so many ways we are in danger. The church is in danger of becoming callous to the life-giving truth within scripture. But it starts with us. It has to start with us personally saying, I don't want to become callous to these things. I want this to be rich and true. I want this to resonate in my life. I don't want to walk as the Gentiles do. I want to pursue Christ. And so I just want to pause and I want to pray before we move into the next section of this, which is really our application and instruction and how we walk through this together. Because I want us to understand that 
None of this becomes significant unless we are sensitive to it. Unless it actually takes an impact in our life and transforms who we are. So let's come at this to God and say, God, change us. Heavenly Father, we are in desperate need of transformation. We're in desperate need to mature and move beyond where we are. And we recognize, Lord, that that's something that you are seeking to do in us. And yet, so often, we've become callous to this. Lord, soften our hearts. Open us up to what you have commanded and called us to do and to be. And may we embody that together. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 20 in Ephesians 4. Contrasting what we just talked about, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, this is basing off the assumption. Everything from this point on is assuming that you know what the gospel is. It's assuming that you know that Jesus came and humbled himself as a man and sacrificed himself. Because in recognition that there was no man who was ever going to be good enough living within his sin to be able to stand as righteous before God. And so all men were condemned to death, but Jesus came and died so that you might have life. And he showed that by raising from the dead to say, I have power even over death, the death that you and I deserve. That's the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. The gospel means that Christ's death is sufficient for you every single day. And the grace of God is abundant every morning so that you might become more like Jesus. It's not meant to be a one and done. All right, I believe, I'm saved, I'm done. Here we go. It's meant to transform. It's meant to be the starting point for us to say, I'm going to put off the old, I'm going to pursue the new. And that new is embodied in the life of Christ. So this is assuming that you know that, and now you do know that because we just talked about it, okay? So everyone say, I heard that, okay? So assuming that you have heard about him, him being Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That that's a picture of what we should pursue. That's the image, the description of this. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Okay, so this is the first, the first thing. We're going to compare and contrast this this morning. And this doubles as your application as well as your challenge. Okay? So we're going to look. You're going to see various points. Old self, new self. And this is all just straight from Ephesians chapter 4. The first one of those is that the old self spoke falsely. 
And the new self speaks truth. Speaks the truth. Now, I would ask you, what motivates us to speak falsely, if we really get to the heart of it? When we speak falsely about someone else or about a situation, maybe it's to cover something up, what's the core root of that? If we really stop and think about it, all it comes back to this place of selfishness. I'm speaking falsely about this person so that I look better. Or I'm going to speak falsely about a situation that maybe I did something wrong. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to twist it a little bit so I don't look as bad. And it's rooted in pride. It's rooted in selfishness. That's the old. Everyone say, that's the old. And the new is an individual who speaks truth. Speaks the truth. Let each one of you, this is verse 25, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And if you glance up, you remember in verse 15, it says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is core. This, is, this should be at the root of our relationships, the root of our communities within the church body, that we speak the truth. This is why we come back to Scripture and say, it doesn't matter what my personal opinion is. It shouldn't matter what my personal opinion is. It should matter what God's perspective says. Okay, That's, that's the only place we come back to because we need to speak the truth. We have to. And that should ripple effect into our lives when we're saying, I want to become more like Jesus. The old self spoke falsely, but my new self is going to speak the truth. Next, my old self is going to be angry and sin. Sin and anger. But my new self is not going to let the sun go down on my anger. I'm going to resolve this before the sun sets. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger and do not give opportunity to the devil. This is a big issue. We do not do this well. Because, as the book of James tells us, a man's anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. And we are really good, especially today. All you need to do is jump on social media or the news. We are really good at getting angry. And we are really bad about seeking reconciliation and forgiveness. And when we consider this process of putting the old off, putting on the new, our first perspective when we come into relationship, should be, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak the truth in love. But man, if I'm, if I'm upset, if I'm angry with someone, I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let the day end. I'm not going to let this day end while I'm still angry with a brother in Christ. I'm going to resolve this because I, I care about this person. I want to, I want to model Jesus. That should be the shift. And in fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he said, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. Or you'll be liable for judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother is liable for judgment. Whoa. Okay, Jesus. That's a big jump. You just coincided murder and remaining angry with my brother. But he doesn't stop there. He says, rather, if you come to offer your gift, if you come to worship, that's really the statement there. You come to offer your gift at the altar, which would have made sense to the people in that time because of the sacrificial system that was in place. And you remember that there is something that is not reconciled between you and your brother. Stop what you're doing. Go be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with people who come on a Sunday morning and they say, man, I just struggle. I struggle to get anything out of Scripture or God's Word and I struggle to be impacted by communion and what's taking place. And so many times these individuals have undealt with conflict with someone, a brother in Christ or sister in Christ, and it hasn't been dealt with. And this is a, Matthew 5 is the first place I go. It hinders our relationship with Christ when we set ourselves in a place of anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Next, old self is a thief that steals. And the new self is one who does honest work and pursues what God has Established, honest in work and in practice. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. You gather that, the shift in that? Again, it comes back to selfish versus servant. The selfish individual says, I'm going to take what I want because it's going to benefit me. And the servant says, I'm going to work honestly. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm not going to let anger and dissension set. And I'm going to do so, so that I may have something to share with anyone in need. Translates itself into generosity. Next, the old self Corrupt and unwholesome in talk. And the new self is focused speech on building others up. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting, some of your translations say unwholesome talk, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When I was in Oregon, within our youth ministry, we had, a, we had a rule, and it was called the Ephesians 4 rule. And at any point in time, if someone was being degrading, if someone was speaking slander or gossip about someone else, or calling someone names, that person or anyone within an ear's distance had the right to say, hey, Ephesians 4 rule. Ephesians 4 rule. It became kind of a laughing thing, but you know what? It transformed the dynamic of the community of those students. 
That's an application that we should apply here. We should apply in our church settings. That if we're in ears distance and we hear someone slandering or talking negative about someone else, we should be able to go and say, hey, Ephesians 4 rule. Speaking the truth in love and that simple Ephesians 4 rule is let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only that which is good for building others up. That should be our focus. The old person says, man, I don't care. I'm going to talk about people however I want to. And the new person says, man, how can I encourage? How can I build up? How can I equip this person to become more like Jesus? How can I do that well? And the last thing is that the old self hangs on to that old self. But the new self moves towards Christ. Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And some people read that passage and they go, what, is, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? That sounds scary. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, God's Spirit prompts us to make a change, to make a shift, to go reconcile with a brother or sister, to speak something encouraging rather than something slanderous, something discouraging. And over and over and over and over and over and over again, I refuse to listen. And some of you may have experienced this. Time goes on, and as time goes on, and we continue to refuse to make those changes, refuse to make those shifts, we start to recognize that I'm, I'm not hearing those prompts as much as I used to. I find that I'm not really convicted in the same way that I once was. And the reality is I don't feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm kind of stuck. Church, we've all got messes in our closets. All of us do. And I'm not talking about at home. Okay? You may, that may be where your mind goes, yeah, I do. I've got messes in my closet. No, no, no. Okay, we're talking in here. We've all got a mess. Everyone say, everyone say, I've got a mess. And for us to grow to where we need to be, for us to become more like Jesus, we have to start there. To acknowledge and say, I've got work to do. And that's a good thing. There is no shame in acknowledging that I've got a mess. I've got pieces of my life that need cleaned up. Because those are the areas where Christ comes in and you say, man, how do I take this mess and make it look more like Jesus? So today, I want to challenge you 
I want to challenge you as the church, but as individuals. When you think about who we are, you think about who I am as a person, as an individual, to shape that in a way that pursues Jesus, that moves towards Christ. Not ignoring the old, but acknowledging that I'm not going to stay there. But I'm going to pursue Christ and walk in newness of life, recognizing that which He's called me to as a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to do it humbly. And I'm going to trust Him for when I find more messes along the way. So let's stand together. The worship team is going to come. We're going to close with a song, but I want to pray specifically that we would pursue newness in our individual lives and as a church, that we would put off the old and pursue the new. May that be our focus. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we recognize that you are God, that you are sovereign, And that we are human and that we are fallen. May we embrace the messes that we have but not remain there. May you help us pursue with our eyes fixed on Jesus a life that is honoring to you. And one that embodies the light of the gospel that we know that we have heard. And that that would not stay here but that as we leave this place we would seek to understand and impact our community with the same truth that we hold close. Lord, keep us from becoming callous in these things. May this penetrate deep beyond the surface and take root in our lives and produce fruit. We pray all this in Jesus' name.